This morning we're starting a series called Summer in the Psalms. <clears throat> and Psalms are, song, are songs. Music has a tremendous power to move us. It, it literally can move us. We've probably all seen examples of glass being shattered by musical notes. And the interesting thing about how that works is that it's, it's not, the glass is not shattered by some kind of brute force coming against it, like if you hit it with a hammer. The way musical notes shatter glass is that all glass, and in fact all materials on earth, have a natural resonant frequency. And when a musical note hits that natural frequency of the glass, if it's loud enough, it vibrates the glass enough to the point where the glass shatters. It is moving the glass from within to the point where the glass shatters. There are resonant frequencies in the human heart as well. And that's why I think music has such power to move us. Music can evoke powerful emotions. Music can make us feel good. Music can move us to tears. Uh, a song can make us tap our feet or dance. Music can transport us back in time. There are songs that I hear that literally, well, not literally, uh, take me back to high school. Not literally. <laughs> that would be kind of fun, actually, but it doesn't happen. But they take me back to high school. And yes, for our kids, they had invented music then. So... <laughs> Music can bring back memories in a, in a powerful, visceral way. Music can move our hearts in powerful ways. A couple weeks ago, I was working. At my desk, I had YouTube music streaming, instrumental music. And as I'm working, I'm suddenly realizing there's a song on, and I, I am feeling like my heart is resonating with this song, it suddenly became aware that, that my heart was kind of like moved with this song. It was just piano and violin. And yet as I'm working there, I'm finding like notes of sadness, notes of melancholy, notes of longing coming out of my heart with this song. And in that moment, that song's frequency was resonating with my heart. And so I clicked over to YouTube to see what it was, and I smiled when I saw the name of the song. It was a composition by Max Richter, and it was called Mercy. And that didn't surprise me, because mercy always resonates in my heart.
He is so faithful. And then there's other times when we say with the psalmist, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. The psalms are raw. They're honest. They cover the span of human experience. And then they connect all of that to God. The psalms are truly a treasure from God to us. I recommend you take some time to park in the psalms and spend some time there. And that's what we're going to do over the course of the summer. Psalm 1 is a great place to start. We're not going to be going through the Psalms chronologically. We're certainly not going to go through all of them. But Psalm 1 is a great place to start because it is the introduction to all the Psalms. So let's read Psalm 1 together. And then let's pray. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Lord, we just come to Your Word We humble ourselves before Your Holy Word. We ask You, Lord, to speak to us. We ask You, Lord, we want to tune our hearts to the frequency of this psalm and the truth that's contained in it. And Lord, we pray that we leave here not unaffected, but affected, moved. Not just emotionally, but moved in tangible ways to draw closer to you, trust and love you more, and walk in your ways with renewed conviction and commitment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first note of the very first psalm strikes a note that resonates with All of us. Blessed is the man. The word man in Hebrew is ish. It it represents all people. And the word blessed is a word that we use so much. We hear the word blessed so much that it, it can become a bit of a religious cliche. We say blessed so often that it can lose its sense of meaning, but the Hebrew word for blessed is a word that has layers of meaning to it, and all those meanings resonate deeply with the longings of the human heart. Blessed refers to having the favor of God on our lives. 
Blessed also means to be happy in the fullest and truest sense of the word happiness. It is to really have happy hearts. And yes, I use the word happy. That's another sermon. Because sometimes we think we're to have joy, but not necessarily be happy. No, there's a lot about gladness. And you know what? Here's here's a semi-sermon. We can be happy even in our darkest times. Happiness is not chirpiness. It's not always being giddy and silly. Happiness is a flow of gladness built on bigger things. True happiness So that even in the darkest of valleys, there can be, even in tears, even in sadness, even in sorrow, there can be happiness. And that's what bless means. The happiness on the fullest and truest sense of the human heart. One more characteristic about blessed that is so important for us to understand is that blessed does not look at our lives, it does not measure our lives in snapshots. It measures our lives in panoramic. It does not just look at the now. It looks at the whole. And that's important. And we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. So how do we get blessed? Psalm 1 gives us a road map that starts by telling us where not to go. Verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If the psalmist wanted to draw a straight line, he could have just said, don't be wicked, don't sin, don't be a scoffer. Straight line. But he doesn't. Instead, he tells us, he focuses on what influences us. What shapes us. And he says, be careful. Blessed is a man who doesn't allow these things and these people to influence us. And I think that's because the the road to an unblessed life is usually not a straight line. It's usually a descent, step by step, gradual. And so I want you to notice the downward progression in Psalm 1, in in verse 1. It starts with walking in the counsel or the advice of the ungodly. Now the ESV translates it, the wicked. And we think of wicked, we think of like the, the ultimate of sin, but the word... In some context, it means that, but the word means the ungodly. The person who is not in covenant relationship with God. The person who doesn't know God. That is the wicked. It's a warning for us not to get the direction of our life from those who don't know God, who are not in covenant with God. The next step is to stand with the sinner standing is a more settled position than walking and sinner is a more intense description of someone who is openly disobeying god so the progression goes from 
being influenced by someone who leaves God out of the picture to being influenced by someone who defies God. The sin gets more intense and the association gets closer. Instead of just walking, we are standing with them. And the last step is to sit in the seat of scoffers. Scoffer is the the last line on the progression of sin. Scoffer describes a deep level of wickedness, of evil. And sitting in their seat describes colluding with them. We have gone from walking with them casually to standing and hanging out with them to being one with them. Scoffers scoff. They ridicule. They mock. Scoffers call evil good and good evil. They arrogantly mock God and they belittle those who trust in God. Scoffers are not content to just not believe in God. They despise God. And they want everyone to despise God with them. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, those that had Him crucified, were scoffers. They despised Jesus. And they wanted others to despise Him as well. They mocked Him as He was on the cross. It was not just enough to not believe in Him. They wanted to kill Him. They wanted to drag His name through the mud. They wanted to belittle and make Him look foolish. Scoffers despise God and they want you and me to despise Him too. The road to an unblessed life starts with ungodly influence. So the psalmist says, blessed is the person who doesn't allow that ungodly influence to direct their lives. In contrast, the blessed person is influenced by God's Word. Verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The influence that the psalmist talks about is an influence of delight. This is not just about knowing God's Word. By the way, those religious leaders I just referred to, they knew God's Word better than all of us put together. At least the Old Testament. They knew the Word of God very well. But it did not bring their hearts to delight. It did not bring their hearts to love God. They despised God. They mocked Jesus, but they knew God's Word. This is not describing someone whose head is filled with the Bible. This is someone describing someone whose heart is filled with the Bible. Who knows the Word of God and loves it. That's what this is talking about. Blessed is the person who delights in the Word of God. When we sit down to read the Bible, which I I strongly urge us all to do every day, as often as we can, 
we should sit down purposely to not just connect the words of the Word to our heads, but to connect them to our hearts. We should sit down to delight in the Lord, to love the Lord, to have our affections stirred up. We were talking about that a little bit Wednesday night. We were looking at a very challenging doctrinal uh, discussion about predestination, but one of the things that we talked about is that doctrine, which is important, the Bible talks about sound doctrine, but doctrine is not the end of the line. Doctrine and the Bible should always lead our hearts to affection for God, to greater love for God, and a greater awareness of His love for us. Delight in the Word of God. So we delight in the wisdom that's contained in this book. I delight in this, the psalmist says. I delight in the wisdom. I delight in the insight into human nature that this book, written by God, contains. I delight in the greatness of God that's revealed in these words. I delight in the salvation that is unfolded in these pages. From Genesis to Revelation, to delight means we ponder it with our minds and we love it with our hearts. And as this psalm promises, as we delight in God's Word, our lives will prosper. Verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. The psalmist uses a simile of a tree planted by streams of water. And it paints the picture of a blessed life. Our roots go deep into the waters of God's Word and His truth. Our lives flourish and bear fruit because our roots are tapped into the water, the streams of water of the Word of God. And we prosper. We prosper. Which is not referring so much to what we get as it is to who we are and what we give. Our leaf. Our fruit. Notice that it says He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Life comes in seasons. And those seasons, there will be seasons of more fruit and there will be seasons of less fruit. There are seasons where we may feel like there's very little fruit going on in my life. And other seasons where it feels like there's a lot of fruit going on in our lives. There are seasons there are times when God says, I'm going to prune you because I love you. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have gone through seasons of pruning where God prunes us back? Yeah. In order that we may be more fruitful at another time. There are hard seasons. There are seasons of drought. You know, as I was working on this, it occurred to me that over the years, I've often heard believers say something to this effect. I'm going through a dry time. I'm going through a dry time. 
And the implication is usually there's something wrong. And there might be. It's an opportunity to evaluate and say, Lord, is there, is there some reason I'm going through this dry time? It might be that something's wrong. But you know what? It might be that there's nothing wrong. That you're just in a season of drought. And the answer, either way, if you say, you know, that's me. I'm going through a dry time. Either way, the answer is to put your roots deep into the Word of God. To allow your roots to go deeply into the truth of God's Word. The Psalms would be a good place to tap your roots. Because one of the things about dry times is that the shallow roots die, but the deeper roots continue to draw water of life. And as the water of God's Word nourishes our souls, our leaf, our life will not wither. I think there are times when our leaf can get distressed, right? It can feel distressed, but it will not wither. It will not die. We recently had our roof uh, soft washed. Uh, and what they do is they go up and they just soft wash the entire roof with a, a basically it's kind of like a soft bleach. And it's to kill the, the lichen and any mold and moss that's growing on the roof. Um, they tried to do a great job of keeping plants and everything from being harmed from that, the water spillage, but after it was over, a day or so later, we noticed that one of our trees that's on the corner of our house and right next to one of the gutters was dried up. Almost all its leaves were completely withered and dry, and there were only a few that, I, I would estimate over 80% of the leaves were completely dried up and dead looking. And I honestly didn't think the tree was going to make it. But I didn't want to lose that tree. So I put the sprinkler there and I just watered that thing like mad for the next couple days. Just watered it like mad, hoping that, you know, come the fall, I would prune it hard and that some of it would survive. I went out the other day to look at it and I would say 80% of its leaves are just beautiful. It is almost completely back to what it was. The leaves are soft and supple. They're, they're not dried and withered. What a transformation from watering it it came back to life that's our souls we thrive even in hard times even in difficult seasons we thrive when our roots go deep into god's word when we love god's truth we obey god's truth we treasure god's truth our lives thrive hard times will come droughts will come seasons of less fruit more fruit will come but through it all, we will prosper. And prosper doesn't mean success the way the world defines success. Prosper means our lives go in the right direction. We live life well. We make wise decisions when we come to forks in the road. We make good choices. We value the things that have lasting value. We are able to identify the roads that look good in the short run, but have a terrible ending, we're able to identify those roads before we get to that ending. 
See, regret is coming to the end of a bad decision and then then realizing that was a bad decision, but there's nothing I can do about it. Wisdom is being able to see that's going to be a bad decision. I'm not going to go there. And so you don't have that regret. We prosper. Our lives prosper. It doesn't have anything to do with making a lot of money. Speaking of regret, verses 4 through 6 bring us down the, the road of regret that those who reject God experience. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. They don't prosper. Their leaf isn't healthy. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You remember at the beginning I said that, we, that uh, blessed doesn't see life in snapshots. It sees life in panorama. Snapshots can be deceptive. You know what a snapshot is? A snapshot is what's going on in your life right now, right now, this today, right this minute. Snapshot. Snapshot captures the moment. They're good. They're important. But they are deceptive. They don't tell the whole story. Someone's life can look amazing today. Snapshot. Someone else's life can look horrible today. Snapshot. But snapshots don't tell the whole story. For that, we need panorama. We need a panoramic view of life. One of the best things about blessed is that it understands that the clearest measurement of a person's life comes at the end of that life. The Hebrew has a word for it. The word is akarit. The final end. And so often in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, that's what it leads us to. You're going along, things are great, and then the akarit hits. The final end. Panorama. Those who reject God and His ways come to nothing. The Psalm says. They are like chaff. Instead of a tree firmly planted, leaves bursting and flourishing, they are like chaff which is hollow and empty, and when separated from the wheat, blow away. Empty husks. That's their akarit. Now on the way to that akarit, snapshot, they might become very rich. They might become very powerful. They might become very famous. They may write a book. They may have a TV show dedicated to themselves. They might become worldwide influencers. They may start a Fortune 500 company. They could build empires. And we look at the snapshot and we say, wow. But the psalm says, look at the akharit. Look at the panorama. And we say, wow.
this is this is the human story one or the other but to illustrate i think of none other than jeffrey epstein jeffrey epstein would be a a prime example of some great snapshots as far as what people saw he looked incredibly successful rich powerful well-connected, influential, and there are over 60 years of snapshots in his life that look powerful, wealthy, well-connected, but the panorama view has to bring in the end, and we see a disgraced man whose sin was exposed for all to see. He died a miserable man in prison. No one wants to be associated with his name, the definition of what the Bible says to be ashamed. His life may, in some snapshots, have looked blessed, but it was never blessed. Never blessed. And we see that clearly from his akharit, his final end. Those who do not put their trust in God, those who do not put their trust in Jesus will perish, will not stand in the judgment, will not live forever with the righteous. They will be blown, their lives blown away like empty husks of chaff. But before we say, man, that is... You know, good news for me, we run into a problem. We run into a serious problem. Look at verse 6. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now listen, before we say hallelujah, we have a problem here. Because Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 tell us there is none that are righteous. No, not one does good. We're not good people, righteous. Hey, I do this, I do that. I go to church, I, I tithe, I, I read my Bible, I pray. I am a righteous person. The Bible says there is none who are righteous. Not even one does good. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, we've got a problem. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, so do we. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus is the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous isn't be good, do good, try to be your best person you can be. The way of the righteous is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And as the psalmist delighted in the Word of God, he came across Genesis chapter 18 where God told Abraham to do something and it says, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Brothers and sisters, that is the way of the righteous. Habakkuk will say, the just will live by faith. And Paul will say, I want the righteousness that comes 
from faith in Christ, from God through faith in Christ. The righteousness, the way of righteousness, is not us being great people. It's trusting Christ and receiving His righteousness so that we walk in the righteousness of Jesus before the eyes of God. That is the way of righteousness. And what that means for, <laughs> is that there's hope for everybody. This leaves nobody out. This leaves no one out. I mean, we could come to the end of our life and we could have a series of snapshots that are wicked and horrible and sinful and despising God and scoffing God. And that's all the snapshots. But if we turn to Christ in that final moment, the panorama view is blessed. Because His blood covers all our sins. And we are righteous. Whether we have five years of snapshots of wickedness, 30 years, or 90 years, all who turn to Christ in faith are forgiven, are cleansed, are given eternal life, are made righteous. That's good news. Amen? That is good news. It's all through Christ. All through Christ. He begins to work on our lives, but that's another sermon. But as we put our roots into the Word of God. But, oh, our lives go from regret to blessed. And thriving. When our hearts resonate with mercy. The mercy of God in Christ. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I just want, today would be a day a beautiful day for you to turn to Christ in faith and say, Lord, be my Savior. Wash me clean of my sins. Forgive me. And give me your righteousness as a gift. Give me eternal life as a gift. Restore me to relationship with God the Father as a gift. I trust in you. Today would be a beautiful day to do that. The old hymn says, I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. And I pray that the, the truths of Psalm 1 resonate in our hearts this morning. That this beautiful psalm resonates with the frequency that our hearts are tuned to and stirs in us faith and hope and love and joy and endurance in times of drought. Let's tune our hearts to God in His Word knowing that we will be blessed if we do. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You so much, Lord. And when we come to us a verse like, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That does not fill our hearts with hopelessness. It does not fill our hearts with introspection and the recognition that we are not perfectly righteous and never, never will be this side of heaven. It doesn't because we look to Jesus and we look to the cross and we see the righteous one there crucified on our behalf. And we see the gift of righteousness that He offers us and we receive it. Our hearts resonate and our hearts are moved by grace. We love You, Lord. 
there's anyone who has never received Christ, we pray that you will stir in their hearts right now faith to look up and see him. That you will cause their heart to resonate by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I want Jesus. I want salvation. I want the righteousness of God. We pray that you will draw them to the way of the righteous. We ask all this in the name of our Savior Jesus, whom we love. Amen.